Welcome back to the Darkness Prevails podcast, the show where you send me your scary experiences with mysterious creatures, creepy people, the paranormal or the supernatural, and I share them with the world. The coronavirus pandemic has most of us stuck at home now, doing our best to stay healthy and entertained. But if you're anything like me, you're bored and a bit more than stressed out. Luckily, a little nightmare fuel does the heart some good. Today, we have horror stories from the middle of nowhere, encounters with the legendary Wendigo, and mysterious monsters seen in the deep woods. Roast up some warm coffee or nestle in for a deep, dark sleep. No matter how you listen, these stories are about to disturb you. If you want your story narrated, remember, you have to send it to us first. Just go to darkstories.org. This week, I'm looking for lockdown stories, hospital horrors, and grocery store tales. But keep in mind, I will not be accepting stories concerning current events, because that would be of bad taste. It's hard times for everyone right now. And if you want to be my favorite kind of creep, be sure to review us on iTunes by searching Darkness Prevails Podcast, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Darkness Prevails. Well then, don't let me hold you back any longer, because I have stories to share with you. After all, this world is a strange one. By the Light of the Moon From Anonymous It was only recently that my family and I moved into our first purchased home. Now, debt isn't the greatest thing, but having a mortgage kind of feels like it. We rented forever, never really feeling like we had control over what we lived in. But now we do, and I don't think we could have been happier until the sightings started. We live out in the rural part of a rural town. In front of the house, there's trees for miles, and behind it, more trees for more miles. Yet somehow we can get internet up here, which is a godsend. The one neighbor we have is extremely quiet, so it's really peaceful here. As soon as we moved in and got everything settled in, we wanted to start a garden, planting fresh fruits and vegetables, even bought a couple of rose bushes, which really accented the old fence that was already on the property when we arrived. Everything sounds good so far, I know, but one thing I didn't like about the place was the master bedroom. Sure, it was big enough, but the side of the bed that I slept on was close to a large window. A window that, honestly, kind of creeped me out. That may sound childish for an adult to say, but I'll be frank with you. I don't think I ever got over my childhood fear of the dark. Not entirely. There would be nights where our rotating fan would cause the curtain to kind of lift away from the window, then fall back down, every so often revealing the outside to me and me to the outside from the glass. I would often lay awake at night sitting there, watching the curtain rise and fall, seeing through the glass, wondering what might appear there one day, wondering what was in the woods beyond the fence that could be looking back. I've always had a morbid mind about things. I am the kind of guy that, if you find me on a cliff's edge, I'm probably thinking, hmm, I wonder what it'd be like to just jump off. From that window, you could see the fence in the forest beyond, as well as some of our garden. 
In the morning, it was quite a delightful sight. Something nice to wake up to. Every morning when I rose out of bed, I would first open that curtain and get a good look outside. But I never dared to open that curtain myself at night. This brings me to my first experience with the thing that seemed to haunt our property. My wife was fast asleep. It was around 4 a.m. Something you should know about me is that I've always struggled with sleep problems. They often came at random. I could go weeks with sleeping just fine, and then there would come nights where I just couldn't sleep, no matter how long I sat there with my eyes closed, no matter how comfy I was. It was one of those nights. I had laid there for literally around six hours as we went to bed at ten. My eyes had been closed the entire time. I wasn't stressed or anxious or anything. I'm not really sure why I couldn't sleep. God, do I hate nights like that. I wasn't facing the window at that moment, but at one point I decided to flip around to give that side a try. As I did so, I glanced at the window and saw that the curtain was rising, thanks to the fan stirring it up. I quickly, almost instinctively, shut my eyes, because I didn't really want to know what was outside the window. To aid in my feeling of security, I pulled the blankets up to my cheekbones, which caused the blanket to overlap my vision in a way that covered the window. I was snug then, and I tried to go back to sleep. The sound of the ceiling fan and the rotating fan, both whirring, while my wife snored lightly here and there. It was peaceful, but there soon came another sound. It was coming from in front of me, just beyond the wall where the outside was. It was a heavy but slow and deliberate thud, like the footstep of a careful but heavy man. After the third thud, it stopped for a while, and I was trying to come up with explanations as to what it was. Maybe it was a pine cone falling from an especially tall pine tree, which we had plenty of around the property. It could have been a bear, but I didn't think one could get over the fence, not without me hearing it. As it went quiet from that side again, I closed my eyes and focused once more on rest. One second, two second, twenty seconds went by, and the sounds came back. Another slow, steady couple of thuds. They were getting closer to my window. That night was a full moon night, and the way the moon sat in the sky, it beamed almost directly through my window a pale gray-blue nightlight that would usually help me fall asleep, but not that night, as the thuds grew closer to the window. A figure overlapped the moonlight, causing me to see a very detailed silhouette behind that curtain. More than ever, I prayed that the curtain did not rise again. Without even knowing what I was doing, I had lowered the blanket from my cheekbones, I had a full view of the curtain, which now sat motionless against the window, like it should have been. Yet, I knew at any second, the fan would come rotating back around and cause it to rise again. Thanks to the brightness of the moon, this silhouette was very, very clear, looking more like a sharp outline than a blurred shadow. What I saw had really disturbed me. It was tall, 
the sharp tips of its ears reached the top of the window, which was nearly to the ceiling. From the top of its head down to its shoulders, it was furry with long, ragged hair. It looked like a disheveled lion's mane. I could also tell it was standing on two legs, but when I looked down at its legs, I saw a bend in them that was backwards and angular, as if you had someone standing straight up and you kicked their knees in as hard as you could. Seeing this made me swallow hard. I kept looking, though, going from its knees to its shoulders, which were broad. It was like some sort of demented incarnation of a burly, bearded mountain man. That's what I was hoping it was. A man. I think dealing with some sort of intruder or peeping Tom would have been much easier to handle in my mind. But then my dog, which we kept in a different room overnight, barked, causing the figure to turn its head at a 90 degree angle. Whatever it was, it had a snout. It was no man. I pulled the blanket back up over my eyes, and I prayed that it would go away. I prayed that this was a nightmare. With a thud, a thud, and another few thuds, the figure disappeared, and I heard no more thudding sounds for the remainder of the night, which I did not sleep. Rather, the following day, I slept a couple of hours on the couch. I did tell my wife about this experience, which creeped her out almost as much as I was scared. Having no further experiences for the next couple of months, it was at the back of our minds. Every now and then, I would wonder what it was. But I think by then, I'd convinced myself it was a misshapen and exaggerated shadow of some small animal. Nothing to be scared of, I thought but I couldn't have been more wrong. Every night before bed, I take the dog outside, walk him around the property. We usually go along the fence together because he enjoys taking in the smells between the fence posts. This night was not a full moon. I remember it being a crescent shape instead, so it was awful dark. I found myself speeding along the fence until I reached where the floodlights are at the corner of the house, which lit up a particular part of the fence, but only that part. The rest of it was quite dark and shadowed. My poor dog, who wasn't on a leash, by the way, always felt the need to follow me when we were outside, and since I was power-walking my way to the floodlight every lap of the fence, the poor guy felt as if he didn't have enough time to sniff his usual spots. By the fourth or fifth lap, I felt as if I was getting enough steps in. I figured another would do it. I would start one more lap, beginning at the floodlight. But I never got that extra lap. Because as we made it to the lit corner of the fence, my dog stopped and started to growl. A very subtle and low growl. One that I almost didn't hear at first. It was like he was frightened. Too frightened to growl normally. What's wrong, boy? I said. He didn't look at me. He kept his eyes glued to one part of the fence. I looked at that part, didn't see anything weird, then looked back. Still, he wouldn't budge. He would only breathe, then continue that low, weird growl. What is with you? I thought. 
I decided to be a little bit more thorough and walked closely to the fence. Having a bit too much bravery thanks to the floodlight, I slapped two hands at the top of the fence, preparing to lean over it, until I looked straight ahead at the top of the fence between my hands. I didn't see it before. When I was looking back and forth from my dog's gaze to the fence, I had been tracing or following his eye level, as that's where he'd been looking. But when I placed my hands at the top of that fence, there was a third hand in between mine, one whose skin was a pale blue or gray, with patches of gray or silver hair all over almost randomly. And this hand, it was twice as large as mine, whose fingers ended in wretched and almost rotten-looking nails, sharp nails. I stood frozen, horrified. I couldn't believe I let myself get this close to something this bizarre. What even was it, though? Whatever the hand belonged to, it was using the fence to lower itself and prop itself against. I could hear it. It was sniffing the ground on the other side, getting the scent of something. Keep in mind that this is a privacy fence. It was six feet tall. Being a shorter man, about five foot ten, I would have to jump, pull myself up, or stand on my tiptoes to be able to look over. But I was not about to do that. If that thing on the other side, crouching down, was too preoccupied to have noticed me and my dog, we were going to keep it that way. I took my boy inside, and we shut the door as quietly as we could. Yet despite how quiet and calm we seemed, my heart was pounding, racing a mile a minute. I don't think it had ever beat so fast. I quickly went to my wife and told her. The two of us ran back to the door, which had a window on it, facing the backyard. I pointed out the hand, and she saw it too, plain as day. But within the next few seconds, that hand slowly sort of just slid down from its position, reminding me a lot of that scene from Jurassic Park when the T-Rex's hand sort of just flops off the wire. We never did see it stand up. Maybe it wasn't six feet tall, or maybe it crouched down there longer than we thought it did. And when it did get up to leave, we weren't there to see it. The thought of that really scares me. This brings me to the final sighting I had so far with this thing. At this point, my wife and I were quite aware that there was something creepy, something weird lurking in our neck of the woods. After that night with the weird hand, we stopped letting the dog out on its own during the day. Day or night, we would be out there to walk with it within the fence. I don't know what I would do if that thing climbed the fence again if it was the same thing as before, and did something to my dog. But once again, the months go by, and time has this way of making things in the past seem less of a big deal. It can soften trauma, make light of the dramatic, and soon the sightings I had had with this creature became nothing more than coffee table talk with family and friends that we would invite over. It was a joke now, Oh, it was just a man in a werewolf garb trying to scare you. Nah, what you saw was Bigfoot. 
He just wants his privacy too. Those were the things that were said. I was foolish not to be scared. I started to want to get in shape again. I had put on a decent bit of weight over the recent winter, so I saved up for new running shoes and some running clothes, as well as a Fitbit, and I started to jog the dirt road circle we lived on. It was about a mile-long loop. I would go down the driveway, go right, and eventually I'd come back on the left. One particular day, we were busy in town for way too long, so when I got home, figuring that I could still fit in my nightly mile, I threw on my running clothes and went out. It was about an hour and a half later than usual, and I way overestimated how much more daylight was left. Because halfway through the mile, to my suspense, the sun was down and it was dark. Imagine yourself alone in the dark on a mountainous road with woods for miles to the left and right. The only way you can go is a half a mile through more bends on the road before finally making it back home. That was the situation I put myself in. Part of me wanted to run as fast as I could the rest of the way, but when I tried, I stopped after a few seconds because my running was so loud it made it impossible to hear clearly around me, and the thought of not being able to hear around me correctly made me feel more panicked, so instead I walked lightly. That way I thought I'd be sure I would hear something if it was coming up on me. Luckily for me, it was a brighter, nearly full moon that night. I think it was called a waning gibbous? I can't be sure though. But there was plenty of light to see up and down the road, the trees to my left and right were awfully big, sure, but they didn't really stretch out over the road. With the moon where it was above me, there was enough light to light my way. That's why when I looked back at one point, I saw it all too clearly. That same silhouette I'd seen in bed so long ago. Tall, pointed ears, ragged mane, backwards bent legs, I saw that dark figure standing, quite obviously taller than my privacy fence, about 20 yards away from me, way too close. It was just standing there. I couldn't tell if it was facing away from me or towards me. I tried to breathe, but choked. I didn't stop walking. I instead started walking backwards, watching this thing. The entire time I repeated the phrase, Oh no, in my head, at least a hundred times. As I began taking steps, careful steps, the figure began to walk too, its arms rising and falling at its sides the way a person would walk. So was it a person in a suit? Someone who decided to terrorize me in a very realistic-looking suit for months? Yeah, th that's all it was, I reminded myself. So, having convinced myself of that, I called out to the figure as I walked. That's not funny. You need to leave me alone. Keep it up. I'll dial the cops. I pulled out my smartphone and clicked the lock button, causing the screen to light up. Then I pointed the screen in his or its direction. They didn't flinch, but kept walking, its steps much larger than my own. It was steadily catching up to me. When 20 yards became about 15, I began to make out details. Patchy silver hair all over, 
skin that was a gray or gray-blue color, hands with long, sharp nails. This was almost certainly the same creature I saw with its hand on the fence that night. Suddenly, it broke into a full run. Mock me all you want, but I screamed, screamed like a child as I turned forward again and started to run, but immediately slid on the dirt road, rocks rolling underneath one of my feet, causing me to fall and scrape my right hip. Now on the ground, I faced the thing running at me, and without full control over my panicking body, my palms raised up to my eyes, covering them, as I waited for sharp, nasty nails to dig into me, and teeth to bite down into my flesh. But that didn't happen. I listened to its rapid thud, thud, thud in the gravel. It was in front of me, beside me, then beyond me. The creature ran right past me full speed. I uncovered my eyes, almost unsure at first. Then I stood back up and faced ahead. The creature had stopped, now about 30 yards ahead up the road. It was facing me again, I think. Then, after we stared at each other for a couple of moments, it walked off to the left of me and disappeared in the woods. Screw stealthiness at that point. I took off at a full run myself. I didn't stop until I made it through the front door, panting. Once again, I relayed my story to my wife, who was now scared for me, and told me she did not want me to run my mile around the loop, and instead, if I had to keep running, I could do it inside the fence at least. While that would make for a boring run, I agreed. The fence did make me feel safer, and I could bring the dog out there with me. But I'll tell you this, I wasn't about to go outside after dark for a long time. It's been about nine months now. I would say I'm overdue for another sighting, but I don't think it's coming back. Or maybe I just hope it's not coming back. It never did show any signs of aggression. If anything, it showed signs of curiosity. It was sniffing around my fence and staring me down. To me, it was like it was just checking us out, wondering if these new people in its territory were dangerous the same way I was wondering if this thing was dangerous. But I'm not going to believe that 100%. I don't want my guard down if I ever see the creature again. I'm afraid if I assume this thing is not out to get me, if I don't take it seriously if I see it again, I could end up a nice, sloppy, wet meal. If I ever do see it again, I'll be sure to let you know. Help me identify this creature. From Dancing Pan. It was 14 years ago. My boyfriend and I went to a graveyard one night. He had told me a story about how he'd seen something weird there. He didn't really want to take me. He even tried to talk me out of it. But I insisted. He said that he had heard voices about the place and if you go there and sit every night, you'd eventually see it. He said that he had finally seen the thing himself on the third or fourth consecutive night that he had visited. He described it 
is very tall, manlike, and gray. But he only caught a glimpse of it, and never went back after that, until I made him. I remember him saying he had car trouble when it appeared also, making his escape much more suspenseful. Well, hearing this, I could not resist. I had to see it. We went three nights in a row. On the third night was when I finally saw it. We were sitting in the dark with the moon being the only source of light. Man, were we dumb. We should have brought our own light at least. Suddenly, both of us got creeped out. It was actually the first time we felt that way since starting our visits. The air felt different somehow. We immediately changed our minds about the whole ordeal, deciding to leave and maybe not coming back after all. Lo and behold, my car, which was the one we took this time, didn't start. And my car had never had trouble before, not once. And even after this incident, it wouldn't have trouble starting for another several years. But when we tried to start it, it wasn't having it. I'd never been so terrified in my life. My boyfriend was driving that night and kept trying to start it, but nothing happened. Then the headlights flickered and came on full force. We saw it, standing right there in front of the car. It was seven feet tall, at least. It was pale gray. It looked like a moving statue to me. It was so tall it had to bend over to look at us through the windshield. We were freaking out. Finally, the car sort of shifted and started at last. The creature itself darted off so quickly to the left. I knew that if it came to the side windows after us, we'd both be dead within a minute. It was so unbelievably fast, yet huge. Instead, it stood at the side of the car watching us. It continued to watch as we drove away. The cemetery was laid out where the gravel road went around the whole graveyard in a circle and looped back around so that the entrance was also the exit. We were spinning tires and slinging gravel the whole way around, but when we passed the place where the thing was, it hadn't moved at all. It had been standing there, watching us go around the gravel circle it just let us leave, but it was looking directly at me. I knew it. It was the passenger side of the car that was facing it, after all. I couldn't really make out any of its features. It was dark, and what had happened had happened so fast, we had panicked. Well, when I looked at this thing, and it looked back at me, I was overcome with a sense of severe sadness, of depression, it was a feeling I'd never felt in my life, but in that moment, these strange emotions became real. It was like everyone and everything I've ever cared for in my whole life was burned right before my very eyes. The pain and hurt was almost tangible. It took my breath away. That night, when I made it home and finally was able to get some sleep, I dreamt of that thing calling me from the graveyard, begging me to come back. But it seemed harmless, it seemed miserable, as if it was stuck in that old cemetery forever, and it was alone, so alone. 
When I woke up, I was determined to go back to find the creature. But before I could even tell my boyfriend, I got calls from him and two of my best friends. I could not believe what they told me. All three of them had had nightmares in which that creature had brutally torn them apart and mutilated me. The two girls who called me didn't know anything about the graveyard incident. It was so late when I got back home, I hadn't had a chance to tell anyone about it. I just went straight to bed. My boyfriend dreamt that I had gone back to the place because I felt bad for it, so he had driven out there after me. When he got there, he found it ripping me apart. He said it was as if the thing was searching for someone because it wasn't eating, just ripping and tossing pieces of my body away. For a long time, I had dreams about the thing, saying, I won't hurt you. Come back. Help me. I am suffering. And for a while, honestly, I had to fight the urge to go back. Even after three people I cared about told me their nightmares where I would die. The pull to go back isn't strong at all anymore. I guess it faded with time especially with kids and adulting, but I do think about it often. I do kind of get a little itch just to drive out there, and I don't know. It would be dumb, but there's always been a little nagging voice that whispers about the thing we saw that night. Whatever it was, it had a masculine physique, no genitalia, and its eyes were completely black. No iris, no pupil, nothing. Just black, inky nothingness. I've been searching for answers all these years, but the only things I've seen that look remotely like it are Wendigos, the pale, crawling humanoid ones, not the ones with fur and antlers. Thing is, Wendigo are vicious, bloodthirsty. A Wendigo wouldn't have let us leave that night, I wouldn't think. The best way I can describe it is it was a statue, one that moved. Does anyone know what it could have been? It's bugged me for nearly two decades now, and any answers, any suggestions, would be appreciated. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
Bigfoot Clown Car from Jasper H. Right after I graduated high school, sometime in the early 2010s, I had a close group of friends that I did everything with. It consisted of my girlfriend, Ella, and my two best friends, Sean and Christian. It was early summer, mid-June, I believe. We decided we wanted to take a road trip and hang out in the mountains. We didn't live that far from the most iconic mountain in our state, so we headed that way in Sean's beloved Pontiac. He had affectionately named it Banshee. We packed the works, snacks, drinks, and after some pestering on my part, I was a bit of a safety nut, so I brought along some warmer coats, flashlights, and water. We were going to make a night of it, even if it meant driving back home at one in the morning, which we were all very accustomed to do at that point in our young adult lives. We ended up driving up an old, infrequently used logging road and parking near what seemed to be a good spot to start our impromptu hike. We parked the Banshee on the side of the road, which was about a foot away from a ditch that was about five feet deep and up minimum ten feet across. On the other side of the ditch was a copse of small trees, young saplings, no more than three inches in diameter. It wasn't really safe to cross the ditch, unless you used the narrow trail that cut through the ditch into the woods. So we ended up using that, and headed into the woods to start our adventure. We spent the entire afternoon wandering and talking and basically just chewing the fat. Around early evening, we had settled down and started a small fire to keep warm. There was a clearing that we had discovered, and there was a fire pit from previous campers, so we used it to start a new fire. Since summer was only just beginning, the nights were still kind of chilly. This night wasn't any different, and being impulsive young adults, we were beginning to regret coming out without better gear, despite our coats and the fire. It was cold enough that our hands were too numb to open the snacks, so that began to damper our spirits. I was getting especially grumpy, since I hadn't had a lot of sleep the night before. I was getting especially irritable sometime around nine. We had only had junk food in our stomachs, and the smoke from the campfire was giving me a massive headache. At some point, I ended up bickering with Ella over some silly topic that I can't even remember now. I stormed off into the woods to cool off. Even though I knew the fight was silly, it had really upset me, and I was in tears for at least five or ten minutes. I wasn't quiet about it either. When I finally started to calm down, a sound came to my attention. It was a not-so-distant, rhythmic knocking, like someone hitting trees with a stick. I knew it wasn't any of the others, because I was close enough that I could still hear them talking, and I would have heard them approaching, since there was so much debris on the ground. My heart stopped, then started pounding as I listened to the other sounds that began accompanying the knocking. Breathing like a heavy, deep breathing, as if whatever was breathing was getting mad, and I mean angry. The knocking was getting more and more deliberate, intense, it sounded like if whatever was being hit was hit any harder, it would snap. Now, I'm a big fan of myths and the supernatural, and my state is famous for its Bigfoot sightings. 
Heck, even some of my family have claimed to see Bigfoot. I didn't want to jump to any conclusions, but the first thing I thought of was that Bigfoot communicates by knocking on trees with sticks. My heart was skipping beats. Here I was in the middle of nowhere, and I hadn't had the good grace to grab a flashlight before I stormed off. The knocking, the breathing, it was all getting closer. So, I was out of there. I turned around, heading back the way I came, luckily coming right back to the campsite. The fire had been put out, and my friends were gone. I could hear them calling for me, from the direction of the road. I quickly answered them, and said that I was coming. The knocking was further away now, but still aggressive and sharp in its retort. I finally made it back to the banshee, which was idling in the middle of the road. Ella, Sean, and Christian stood near the front of the car, looking just as freaked out as I was. Apparently, they'd heard the knocking too, and decided to call it quits then, thinking that I'd find my way back to the car eventually. Calling me hadn't been an option since there was zero reception out there. I assured them it was fine but then we had the absolute crap scared out of us. It all happened so quickly, it felt like it was happening in slow motion. There was an eruption of snapping noises, as something huge just casually brushed those saplings aside in the same way a normal person would walk through tall grass. We could see trees snapping like toothpicks in the light from the headlights. The breathing was audible now, along with an angry, grunting noise. The next thing we knew, a large humanoid figure, at least nine feet tall, appeared out of the tree line. It didn't even pause before it leapt over the ditch. It just casually stepped over it, like you would if you were stepping off a curb. It cleared the ditch completely and landed in a crouch in the center of the road, looking at us as it did. We'd been frozen in shock at the sound and the creature's appearance, but when it landed in the middle of the road after jumping the ditch like a kid playing hopscotch, we scrambled, comically so, piling over each other to get into the banshee. Then we sped away. I remember looking back and seeing it charging after us as we drove away, but it quickly gave up the chase and returned to its woods. We decided after that encounter that we'd just stick to normal, populated areas for hanging out. Areas far away from that thing. The Thing in West Virginia From Tim R. This story occurred in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Though I was born in Charleston, I moved to Parkersburg when I was three. I was raised in an isolated area in the mountains. West Virginia is known for its scary monsters and the well-known Mothman. I'm here to tell you about a new type of creature, one you may have never heard of before. I was outside playing with my German Shepherd. I vividly remember it being a nice fall day. All the leaves were golden and the trees were beginning to lose their leaves. Every step, I could hear the leaves crunching below me. 
As I said, I live in an isolated area in the mountains, so my family would have to drive about half an hour to get to town if they wanted groceries or to take me to school. It was evening, so I was bored just running around throwing sticks as my dog attempted to go get them. I always loved the outdoors from a young age, but this event almost changed it for me. As I was messing around throwing sticks, I noticed a stream heading down the mountain. I went over to it, and my dog soon followed. I sat down on a nearby rock and looked up. I could tell it was going to be dark soon. I then heard a twig snap on the other side of the stream. I looked over to see a small squirrel just looking at me. My dog barked and foolishly ran across the stream, splashing me in the process. I ran after him, but soon lost sight of him. I looked around and found that I was indeed lost myself. I had an uneasy feeling, and I just wanted to be back home. I tried to retrace my steps, but I couldn't seem to find my way back. Every second, that uneasy feeling would multiply. I looked around until I found what was giving me that feeling. Until this day, I still regret looking that way. What I saw appeared to be around eight feet tall. It was skinny and had a weird face, like the face of a bear, but not exactly. The thing had patches of brown fur, but looked to have gotten in a fight with something. It had long, long arms, and that stench that came off of it was insane. I stumbled backwards, and I was just in shock. It seemed like that thing was just as scared of me, though, as it got awkwardly down onto four legs and scurried away. The thing reminded me of a stretched-out, hairless grizzly bear. But I'm not even sure if we have grizzlies in West Virginia. Only black bears, I think. And if it was, why did it act that way? Why did it look like that? The thing I encountered made no noise, though. It was silent, and I don't know why. I sat there wondering what I saw, and I finally got the nerve to get up. But my legs were all shaky. I was paranoid. Every minute I was looking behind myself. I tried to run at one point, but I had no sense of direction. I just wanted to run, so I kept going. Eventually, I reached a road. The same road that led me to my house, so I followed it, luckily enough. As I reached almost halfway up the road, my heart sank. I remembered I didn't know where my dog was. I tried to think of an excuse on what to tell my parents about the dog, but what would they think? I walked into my house and went directly to my bedroom. I didn't come out that evening at all. Eventually, I fell asleep and woke up in the middle of the night with that same terrified feeling. Thankfully, the next day, my dog found his way back somehow. I was so relieved, but I could tell he was not the same. After that day, I haven't been to those same woods ever again. I've been too scared to even know. I'm 38 now, but I'm still so paranoid. The Eyes From Brooke D. My sister and I were one day heading out to her friend's house. Apparently, her friend lived out in the country and there was a supposedly haunted graveyard near their house. So we left about 8.30 or 9 p.m. 
we would pick him up and visit the graveyard. This happened in October of 2019, by the way. When we got there and were finally driving up his driveway, on both sides of the dirt road there were these long cornfields. I could reach out my window and touch them, they were so close to us. As we pulled into his driveway, we saw this black little animal that looked like a skunk, but it didn't have any white on it. We called it a skunk and left it at that. We picked up her friend and talked for a bit. Five minutes later, as we were driving back down the dirt road, I was sitting in the back passenger seat, looking out the front window. About ten feet from the car, I saw something sticking its long, stretched-out neck over the corn stalks in the field. These corn stalks are taller than me. I couldn't really see the shape of the head, but I could see its bright eyes looking and blinking at the car. I didn't say anything. I don't know why. I may have been in shock or just curious. But when we got about five feet from it, I saw it slowly move its head back into the field. As we drove by where it was, I tried to search for it from the window, but I couldn't find it. We continued on to the graveyard and didn't see anything else. But even my sister said that she felt as if she was being watched the moment we picked our friend up. Roadwalk From Great Moves, Ethan Slugbug Reynold hit me in the shoulder as hard as he could causing me to swerve the car on the dark road. But luckily, there was no one else driving that night, or so it appeared, for the last hundred miles. Crap, man, that's not funny. It's not even a bug on the road, dude. I got us back on the right side of the road and rubbed my shoulder. Then I gave him a quick but mean scowl. Yeah, I know, but I want to make sure you're not falling asleep. I saw you dozing off a minute ago. Scared the crap out of me. I don't want my brain implanted into some tree out here. Whatever, I said, not realizing that I probably did just doze off a second. We'd stayed up really late partying with our friend. It was his bachelor party. Things got a little too wild. But now we were halfway home on a five-hour journey. It was dark out, and we were both tired out of our minds. Basically, yeah, maybe I did deserve that punch in the shoulder. Reynolds starts messing with the bags of chips we have in the back, a bunch of leftover road trip junk food. He snacks on a bag of Lay's potato chips, and then he goes quiet for a while. When I glance over, maybe ten minutes later, he's out cold. I rub my face a little bit, give myself a slap, trying to make sure I'm wide awake. The road I was driving on was quite hypnotic. Not a whole lot of winding turns or bends, and the trees to our left and right, they were colossal and menacing. But I tried to focus on what was ahead of me, which really wasn't much. Just straight, badly maintained road, miles upon miles from towns in any direction. Truly the middle of nowhere. Having creeped myself out from the thought of having to walk down this road at night, if something happened to the car, I glanced down to the fuel gauge. We were three quarters full, nothing to worry about. I looked back up, having only looked away for a split second, 
and slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. I ran right over into a pile of something in the middle of the road. I didn't have time to swerve around it either, but I tried. There was a loud pop coming from the back of the car. My panicked turn of the steering wheel caused us to fly into the ditch before coming to a sudden halt. Crap, I said, my heart feeling like it was going to beat out of my chest. Reynolds shot right up and looked at me, a bit of drool hanging out of his mouth. He noticed it and wiped it away quickly, at the same time asking me, What in the hell, dude? What's going on? You didn't fall asleep, did you? I rubbed my head, trying to console a worsening headache. Uh, believe it or not, no. I think there was something in the road. Ran it over. Think it punctured the tires in the back. I undid my seatbelt and began to climb out of the car. Reynolds did the same. The cold night air hit me hard, as if it were a spirit passing right through me. I crossed my arms and held them tight, then began to walk to the back end of the car. Reynolds checked his side, and I did the same, lowering myself down to the back left tire. The thing was torn to shreds. It was far beyond the hope of getting it patched. The whole dang tire needed replaced. I sighed. And then I heard Reynold cursing. What in the world did you hit, dude? The tire practically exploded over here. I walked around to his side and took a look. He was right. The tire on the back right had also been obliterated. I have no idea what I hit. It was dark and happened really fast. Turning on the flashlight on my phone, I walked up out of the ditch and Reynold followed. I aimed the light toward the road and followed traces of burnt rubber and what appeared to be these yellow-white shards. They were bones. As I followed these yellow-white particles, they grew larger until it led me to what appeared to be a very old carcass on the road. Well then, I said. Reynolds spoke up. That's the first time I've seen or heard of people's tires being blown out by a ribcage. I'm almost impressed, Ethan. But now, we're stranded. I only have one spare tire, man. Here, let me call up Lane. We'll get someone out here to pick us up. It's gonna be several hours, though. What are we, like three and a half hours out from either direction? Perfect. He began to dial a number, and I continued to scan the road around me. I found another carcass on the road, then another. In total, there were seven different animal carcasses on the road, and these were larger creatures, it looked like deer. I felt more cold, more chilled than I did when I stepped out of the car. I motioned for Ethan to come back to the car with me. We had no other choice than to wait inside anyway. With the temperature being single digits, it was going to be a cold, long wait. While Ethan's car's heaters did work, they weren't the best. Back in the car, I put them on full blast, then turned off the headlights. The way we were angled, we might blind someone if they passed by, but if need be, we had plenty of time to signal them with the headlights. We'd be able to see them coming for a while. Reynold put the phone back in his pocket, and then let me know. All right, Lane's sending his wife, Alyssa. He's already been called to work, this early in the freaking morning, can you believe it? 
So, it's gonna be a couple of hours. Gotcha, I said, and laid back in the seat, reclining it as far as it would go. By the way, did you see the... just how many carcasses were in the road? I asked him. Huh? What do you mean? There's like seven dead deer out there. I mean, do they have wolves up in these woods? Nah, not as far as I can remember, he answered. Nah, before I moved down with you, the worst we got were coyotes, and they're tiny little things compared to dogs, for the most part. They're mangy, skinny little opportunists. I don't think that's what killed those deer, but they're probably getting ready to come up here and chew on the remains. <sighs> Gross, I said. Well, maybe it was a semi. Ran over a whole family of deer, I suggested. Yeah, only thing that makes sense. Reynolds agreed. Then he reclined too, reaching for yet another bag of Lay's. Hey, grab me a bag of Cheetos while you're at it. Flaming hot? Do you even have to ask? I said. He tossed the bag to me. For the next hour or so, we laid there, just looking out the window. With the headlights off, we could see the sky pretty well, and the stars were bright out in these parts. Would have been a beautiful night had we not found ourselves in this predicament. And I have to admit, the thought of those carcasses on the road, they did spook me a bit. They didn't look like they'd been run over. They looked like they'd been torn open, eaten. I shook my head and got that off my mind. Focusing on that right now would only make the situation more unbearable. So I turned on the radio, then lowered the volume just enough to where the music was subtle. Kind of like we're camping, huh? Reynolds wondered aloud. Pretty much. Wish we had some s'mores instead of chips, though. And you ate all the Slim Jims on the way up here. Hey, I'm a carnivore. Can't help it. He smiled. But then his face went straight. Hey, uh... He scratched his temple, giving some thought into what he was about to say. Do you happen to remember going camping? Me, you, and Lane out in the woods? It was our freshman year. My stomach sank a bit. It was weird that he was asking me if I remembered it. How could I forget that? So, I simply nodded. I turned away to face the stars again. I think he was waiting for a reply, so I eventually gave him one. That's something pretty difficult to forget. So, uh, do you still believe, Lane? He dug into the bag of chips he had in his hand, pulled out the biggest one he could find, and chomped down hard on it, then set up to down a swig of water. His question made me wonder. We were kids, but I know Lane wasn't faking it. I know what I saw on his leg. I answered. He seemed satisfied. A little smirk grew on the side of his face. That's what I thought you'd say. And if you believe him, I believe him too. Man, some weird stuff goes on in the woods. He tossed his now empty bag of chips in the back seat. Our trash pile, basically. Then laid back again. I had been trying to keep myself from being more creeped out, but then he had to bring up that memory. Way back when we were freshmen in high school, we played sick on a Friday so that we could have a three-day weekend. We had made plans to go camping in these very woods. Just me, Lane, and Reynold. Lifelong best friends and best friends still, even though we lived so far away from each other. 
Well, at least to us, it felt far. What happened out there? It was the first thing that happened to me that had me question reality. That night, we all slept in the same tent, but Reynold woke me up and Lane was gone. The moment we stepped out of the tent, Lane, either unconscious or still sleeping somehow, was being dragged away. I screamed in time to cause whatever was dragging him to release him and run off. I was also out of the tent first before Reynold, so I was the only one that saw what had taken Lane. But it's something that I tried hard to convince myself I simply saw wrong. At first, I told myself it was some psycho in the woods that tried to kidnap our friend, but then I decided it was simply Lane sleepwalking. When Lane explained what happened to us, he could only recall the last few seconds before that thing let go and took off, said that whatever it was, it didn't have the right amount of fingers, and that its skin was slimy yet smooth. He even showed us a spot on his leg. It was swelling up and red and covered in some sort of thin mucus. Now, Reynold had never been the type of guy to be able to take things calmly. He was known to panic first, then run away before asking any questions. So he threw a tantrum of denial right then, saying that Lane had did it to himself, that it wasn't cool that he wanted to leave now. While we all agreed that we wanted to leave, I looked at Reynold and I told him, I believe him, that I believe Lane. Reynold didn't like this. The guy actually started to cry. He trusted me a lot, and having me say that, it was like I was confirming that he should be afraid. We left those woods as quickly as we could that night, and we never went back for another camping trip. So yeah, I believe what Lane said. I just didn't want to believe what I saw dragging him away. And I still hadn't told Reynold or Lane what I think I saw. A steady light rain began to fall outside. It landed and flowed down the windshield, even more mesmerizing than the road had been when I was driving before. I was dozing off again until Reynold shook me. What? I said. Dude, it's raining. He seemed a little freaked out. Yeah? So? He pointed toward the dashboard. Look at the temperature gauge. Look at the temperature on your phone. I did as he asked. The screen on the dash said 8 degrees, and my phone read 7. Huh. Reynolds went on. Shouldn't the rain be freezing? Freezing on the ground, at least? Shouldn't it be snow or sleet or something? I shook my head. Man, you're just freaking out because we're stuck out here. You're making something out of nothing. No, look. Look out the window. Look at the ground. I rolled my eyes and looked out the window. The rain formed little puddles in the holes in the pavement and little streams in the cracks. I must have sat there for a few minutes looking at the water, but he was right. It never froze. And then the temperature began to drop rapidly. According to my phone, it dropped another 15 degrees and was now well below zero. I kept glancing from my phone to the outside, and the rain didn't freeze. It refused to, but I refused to make anything more of it. I looked at Reynolds and said, 
We aren't scientists. I'm sure there's something going on, maybe with the road or with the weather, that's just keeping this water from freezing. Then Reynold looked like he had an idea. He grabbed his bottle of water that was in the cup holder, opened his door, letting in quite the chill. Then he began to pour some of the water on the ground. What are you doing, Reynold? I said. We'll just see if my water freezes. Maybe we'll know something then. So you're wasting our drinking water for a science experiment. He looked at me with a finger over his mouth. Just shush, he said. I leaned over towards him, and I looked out the door. I wanted to see this in action. Of course it wasn't going to freeze. If the rain wasn't freezing, his water wasn't going to freeze. I watched the water hit the ground, mix a little bit in the grass with the rain. Before, over the next minute or so, clumps of ice formed where the water had been poured, but the rain around it remained liquid. What the hell? I said. Then Reynolds said what I think we were both thinking. I don't think that's rain, Ethan. He put the cap back on his water bottle, then closed the door. He made sure to lock it too. So it's just some dirty rainwater. Doesn't freeze because all the crap in it, I guess. Reynolds looked at me and said, Sure, let's go with that. I'm just going to try to get some sleep. I nodded, and he laid back, facing away from me. I sat back in my seat as well, and it didn't take long to finally fall asleep. I'm awakened when the sound of thunder crashes outside. Reynold is still sleeping, so I don't wake him. I don't feel tired enough to go back to sleep, though, oddly enough. We'd only been sleeping for a couple of hours. I stayed awake, watching the rain and now the lightning outside. Lightning that had a weird green tint to it, made everything seem more ominous than it really was. I glanced at the ground outside and, once again, the rainwater was still liquid. No ice on the ground. As I lay there, I began to hear a sound within the rain. A sound I thought was wind at first, howling through the trees. But as it got louder, closer, it stopped sounding like wind and sounded more like crying. Like the tormented cry of someone mourning someone close to them. It was coming from the left side of the road, from the woods, growing louder by the second. With a big green flash of lightning in the sky, the road in front of us and the edges of the woods to our sides are brightly lit for a couple of seconds. Within that brief window, I see a figure in the road. A very tall figure. A very familiar figure. Uh, who is that? Reynold had awakened. I looked over to him. He was rubbing his eyes and looking in the direction of the figure too. But just like me, he became quiet and started to stare. The figure must have been nine feet tall, maybe more. It looked like we could stack two of this car on top of each other, and that thing would still be taller. It appeared to be looking up towards the sky. Lightning kept flashing in and out, revealing to us this thing for plenty of time. 
This tall thing, with a skinny torso and thin, long limbs, but a head that was bulbous, like a baby's, except far larger than that. But I could not find its eyes, a face at all, really, and I was left wondering if it was facing away from us, or towards us. Then, more figures like that one, but at different heights and different proportions of bulbous head, began to walk out of the left side of the woods, slowly, like slow motion slow, crossing over the road and onto our side. The moaning sound, the cry, it seemed to be coming from each and every one of them. If I didn't know any better, I'd say they sounded sad. We stayed quiet and hunkered down in the car, getting as low as we could to still watch the things outside, but lowering our chances of being seen. I was glad then that I kept the headlights off. I looked at Reynold. He was shaking a bit. He started to turn around, wanting to look out the back window. When he did, his eyes grew wide and his shaking intensified. He looked at me, then looked ahead, as if to say without a word that I need to see this. I followed his gaze and looked out the back window as well. Those things were all over the road, behind us and ahead of us, but the ones behind us, a couple of them had crouched toward the ground and were picking at the bones and meat of the dead deer. Each one that stopped at a deer carcass would only take a few bites before getting back up and walking in that physically impossible slow-mo walk. In silence, in fear, in terror, we must have watched a hundred of these things cross the road before it finally stopped. And only when the last centimeter of flesh of one of those things disappeared beyond the trees did the wind and rain and lightning suddenly stop. The rain all over the road and ground, it didn't freeze or stay, but seemed to fade, evaporate. Before long, we were left in the exact same position we had been. A dry, dark road, quiet and alone. But it took longer for the crying moan to stop. We didn't even dare sit up in our seats until that sound faded. And when we did sit up, we simply looked at each other and tried to stutter out the first words. What? I... Reynold tried to speak, but he could not find the words. But I did have something to say. Reynold, those things, they... I've seen one of them before. You're not going to believe me, I know you're not, but... One of those things tried to drag away Lane. His eyes narrowed. Did he disbelieve me? Or was he mad, angry that I hadn't told him this yet? W way back when we were camping, what we just talked about, I never told you guys, didn't know if I even should but I saw what was dragging him away. He wasn't sleepwalking, he wasn't taken by a person. I was never sure of what I saw until now, but it was the exact same height, same shape as one of those things. I'm sure of it now. I collapsed into the car seat, 
and I just waited. Reynold remained quiet. Another hour of this silence, of this terror of wondering if they'd turn around and come back to cross the road again, before Alyssa's car finally pulled up. The two of us put on fake faces, told her we were happy to see her, and thanked her for picking us up. But when she asked if we were okay, beyond just the slight accident in the ditch, we feigned ignorance, not sure what she was talking about. Reynold eventually accepted my apology for holding my secret for so long. We made it back to society okay, and we keep this story to ourselves. I'm not sure if we should tell Lane this, but maybe he does have the right to know. That night was really a weird one, and still, I have no idea what those things were or whether or not they meant us harm. I'm just glad that they didn't see us. Family Cabin from Mike B. My family has a cabin in northern Alberta on a beautiful lake called Island Lake. It is pretty much the middle of nowhere. I was 18 years old. The family cabin had recently been reconstructed into a full-fledged house. The cabin was still under construction and was being painted at the time. My dad decided to take up hunting for the weekend. He invited both me and my best friend. Out at the cabin, my passion had always been building fires and chopping wood. One night on one of these weekends, I decided around midnight to go down the stairs descending to the beach and build a fire in the fire pit. My dad and my friend were both asleep at the time, so I decided to just go about doing my thing. Suddenly, I began to hear a crackling in the bushes on the neighbor's property. Our neighbors had a very dense forest connecting to a local campground on their property. I brushed it off as a raccoon or something and continued about making the fire. When I finally got it going, I stopped to look at the stars, but I was interrupted when I heard a growl coming from the bushes. I turned and I saw a pair of eyes staring right back at me. I could not make out what they belonged to, so slowly I went into the shed to grab a flashlight. As I did so, I suddenly heard a bang on the side of the shed. I looked up the window of the shed, hoping to catch a glimpse of what did that. But there I saw the eyes again. A feeling of dread welled up in me. I'd left the shed door open. I could hear what sounded like claws dragging along the side of the shed. This thing sounded plenty big, and I did not want it in the shed with me. After all, if I could see its eyes in the window, it had to have been at least seven feet tall. Just when I thought this thing was going to come inside and end me, my father stepped out onto the deck and turned on the bright floodlights facing down to the beach. Mike, he called out. You down there, boy? The scratching stopped, and I heard the creature run off into the bushes as if scared by the light. Quickly, without even putting out the fire, I ran upstairs to the cabin, and I rushed inside as fast as I could. 
I only once briefly stopped to look to the bush by the neighbor's cabin. I saw it in the nick of time, a figure fading away into the undergrowth. It was big. It was about seven feet tall. I went inside and locked everything down, but I never saw that thing again. Still, when I find myself sitting by the fire at night, I can't help but feel I'm being watched. Who knows when the creature will show up again, or if it ever left. Maybe it's always close by, watching someone from the bushes. Keep an eye out for any dogs you might have, and keep your small children close. Outdoor Story from Jacob L. I go to my grandpa's every year to fish. My grandpa is used to telling a specific story when we're out. The story of the so-called Owl Man, or the Cheney Creek Creature. He had always made these stories up. I was about 13 at the time, and I still had a wild imagination. I believed him for a while, but what happened that night changed everything. We had just got done with supper and we went to start a fire. We grabbed the logs and began to douse the logs in lighter fluid. As I turned to grab the lighter, I heard a branch snap. I turn and look and can't see anything in the darkness, so I continue to light the fire until I spotted a dark figure sort of crawling into the water. I don't say anything. I don't want to spook my younger brother who was sitting in a chair behind me. My grandpa then went inside to grab some marshmallows, and everyone else follows. They leave me to watch the fire and tell me not to do anything stupid. I nod, laughing a little bit. While they're inside, I sit, now watching the creek. I hear water splashing in the direction of the creek. A chill runs up and down my spine. I feel as if I'm being watched, Looking around, I find a tall, dark figure standing far away by the creek, so I can't get a lot of detail, but then I watch it walk right back into the lake. As it did so, I heard a sound similar to chains rattling. As it crawls back into the water, it stares at me with bright yellow eyes and screeches. That screech was so awful, I covered my ears. I go to get my pellet gun, thinking it could protect me, but it acted more like a security blanket. I aimed it at the creek, kept my eye on the scope, and watched for every single movement I could. But the thing doesn't come back up. I'll never forget what happened that day, and I can still hear the rattling of chains in my head. It's so vivid. I don't ever want to hear it for real again. I'm not entirely sure how middle of nowhere the next two stories are, but I did my best to go off of some hunches, as I think they're pretty cool stories. The first takes place in West Virginia, which is quite rural, and the second takes place in Mexico, five hours from the airport. Just wanted to let you know I'm just guessing on these, but I think you'll enjoy the stories nonetheless. The Familiar Visits at Night from Bleak Mountain. 
This happened in our former home, an old house way out in West Virginia that housed many bad memories for my family and I. We live in another state now. We are the only ones who have ever lived in that house. It was built and never sold until my family and I bought it. I've always thought that spirits and entities were attracted to negative emotions and outbursts, which happened a lot in my old house. In addition, my father was going through hard times at the time, with his job, money, the usual. The old house is a one-story place with a basement. It has three bedrooms. One of the bedrooms was the master bedroom, and they gave that to my oldest sister. That's because my two teenage sisters needed their own rooms, as did I when I grew older. My parents used to sleep in the master bedroom for a while, but since they needed to give it to my sister, they separated a part of the basement off and made it into their bedroom. One night, my mother was lying beside my father in their bed, when she noticed a mist hovering over my father, who was fast asleep. My mother thought it was her mother, but our dog started barking, and she knew something wasn't right. However, she thought it'd be best not to wake up her husband and scare him. The next night, however, she was fast asleep, and my father was awakened. My sisters and I would sometimes come down to my parents' room at night to talk to them because we were scared. When my father awoke this night, he noticed what he thought was my youngest sister standing in the doorway. The figure was dressed in white and had blonde hair. My sisters had blonde hair too. You okay, sweetie? He said, tired and irritated to be woke up. The figure whom he thought was my sister until now turned its head in confusion, much like a dog would. My father's face turned quickly from tiredness to terror, his eyes wide open and the hairs on his arms sticking up. He realized the figure did not know he could see it. That is why it looked confused. He also realized it wasn't my youngest sister, for all the lights were off, and when she came down to the basement, she was too scared to not have them on, and would turn on as many lights as she could. Then its face began changing, from my youngest sister's face to my grandmother's, then to my aunt's. My father began yelling loudly to my mother, Turn on the light! He kept trying to wake her up. She finally did and turned on the light as he asked. She asked what was wrong. He wouldn't talk to her for about half an hour, though. When he finally told her, she was shocked and admitted what she saw the other night. My dad said that the figure he saw dispersed into a mist after my mom awakened. My parents thought it could possibly be my mother's mom's spirit, as my youngest sister did look like her. Today, however, I think my dad believes it was a familiar, though my mother is convinced it was malevolent. If you don't know, a familiar is an entity who disguises itself as a loved one or someone you know. I've heard of them asking to come into someone's house or luring someone towards them, disguised as someone they love. But I think this one was invited into our home by means of negative emotion and outburst. I believed it to have been a demon in the form of someone we know. 
We have since blessed the house in the name of the Lord, and there have not been too many odd occurrences afterwards. Just beware. If you live among negative energy and emotion, you might just invite something in, something harmful, something you weren't expecting. The Crying Woman from Jessica D. I'm sure we've all heard the legend of La Llorona, the crying woman, and I can't say for sure if what I experienced here was indeed a La Llorona encounter, but it was still terrifying. This story takes place in 2017, when I was on vacation in Mexico, visiting my in-laws. It was the first time I'd be meeting them in person, as my husband and I were living in California with our three children. I should mention that I'm a white, bilingual female, and this visit was a total surprise to all but one of my in-laws. My older daughters, who are twins, chose not to travel with me, mostly because my husband is their stepfather, and they really don't have contact with his side of the family. They don't speak Spanish, and my in-laws do not speak English. It was just me and our then two-year-old daughter, who is his only blood-related child, traveling to visit her paternal grandparents while my husband stayed in the States working, making sure the bills and rent were paid for the two months we'd be gone. It was a very exciting adventure. It would be both of our first time meeting my husband's parents, as well as our first time in Mexico. We were met at the airport by one of my sister-in-laws, the only one who knew we were coming, and her husband, who drove us from the airport to their home some five hours away, my husband and I have a house on the same property as his parents that we are still currently building onto, so at the time of my visit, the second story was still missing the roof, among other things. My daughter, who we'll call Ivy, and I stayed in the room downstairs that is already completed, but at night, I would frequently sneak upstairs when my daughter was asleep, just to stare at the beautiful night sky. Although the days were hot and humid, at night, the whole atmosphere changed, and it's fresh and cool and it often rained, even in the summer months. On nights when it doesn't rain, you can still see spectacular lightning storms in the distance, lighting up the night sky. One night, however, I saw something that will forever chill me to the bone. I'd only been staying there a few days when, late at night, I woke up to use the bathroom and get a drink of water. It was then that I heard a faint cry. Thinking it may have been my mother-in-law, I snuck through the doorway that separated our two houses as they connected. I stood outside of her room listening for crying, but when I heard it again, I realized it wasn't coming from her room. It wasn't coming from the house at all. Instead, the faint sound of a woman crying was coming from outside and seemed to be getting closer. I rushed, quietly but quickly, back to my house, creeping up the stairs to look through one of the still uncovered windows of what will soon be my room. Like I said, the house was still under construction, so aside from not having a roof, the windows were basically just huge rectangular holes in the brick wall without any kind of bars or glass to cover them. As I crept to the window closest to me, where I could get the best vantage point, I peered out to the street, 
where I saw something that caused me to freeze in place, and goosebumps popped up all over my body. Walking very slowly down the street was a woman dressed in a long black dress. I say she was walking, but the truth is she appeared to be in fact floating. I could not see her dress move at all as she made her way down the deserted main road. Now this caught me as extremely unusual. She was alone in the dark at 3.30am. That is not safe, especially not in Mexico. As I continued to watch her gently glide down the street, I soon saw her stop in place right in front of the entrance to the property, and when she stopped, so did the crying. I watched in horror, as ever so slowly, she turned and seemed to be looking directly at me. It was almost as if she knew I was watching her, and even more terrifying, she seemed to know where I was. A chill ran down my spine, my skin covered with goosebumps. I quickly ducked below the window. My blood felt as if it had turned to ice, and I was too scared to stand up, afraid that I'd find her approaching our home. Thankfully, though, when I did get up, about 30 seconds after crouching down, she was gone. There was no trace of her at all on the street, and there was no way that she could have moved out of my line of sight that quickly. I had a bird's eye view almost, and would have seen her running down the street in either direction. And then I thought, what if she had snuck onto the property while I wasn't looking? What if she was looking for a way in? On the road, there were some lamps, but once on our property, she would have the complete cover of darkness, rendering her virtually invisible, and that thought chilled me. I rushed back downstairs to make sure that all the heavy metal doors were all securely locked in both houses. After assuring myself that the place was locked up tight, I started making my way back to my room. But before I could get there, my daughter began to cry and scream for me. I ran back to my room, no longer caring how much noise I made. But when I entered the room, it was empty, aside from my two-year-old sitting up in the middle of the bed. Even through the darkness of the room and the mesh of the mosquito net around her bed, I could see the terror on her face as she pointed to the window that looked out to the back door of our home. I rushed to the back door and illuminated the backyard with my cell phone, trying to see something, anything that might be lurking in the dark. The night was completely silent, except for the buzz of the mosquitoes and the chirping of the crickets. Before going back to bed, I again checked all the doors and windows on the ground floor, this time with Ivy in my arms. Again, everything was locked and secured, so I took Ivy back to bed. Within 30 minutes, we were both fast asleep. I awoke a few hours later to find the sun up, and something I found to be completely impossible. The back door to my house was wide open the same door that Ivy had been pointing to in fear only a few hours ago. But I'd made sure it was closed and locked it before lying down to sleep. And had anyone in the house opened it, I would have been awakened by the distinct screeching and grinding of the metal lock sliding open. So, did the crying woman find a way inside? Flesh Eater 
from Gesundheit. Part 1 I grew up in the great outdoors of Colorado. My nearly middle-class family lived in what was nothing more than a cottage in the cold but plentiful wilderness of Colorado. Dad worked as a semi-truck driver. He was barely ever home. Mom took care of my older brother Derek and I and maintained the house. We lived down a dirt road down another dirt road, but there was always something to do like picking tomatoes and onions in my mother's garden, walking to my nearby friend's house to play some games on his PS2, or just going with my brother to go fishing. Though we didn't have the biggest house and not a lot of money, we did have quite a bit of land, albeit overgrown and mostly cheap land. There was a small pond on part of it, and near that pond was an old shed, or more of a shack, I guess, which my dad revitalized and turned into a sort of fishing shack. It had two little cots in it and a working but small fireplace. When my dad had some time at home, we would often go out there with them and do some fishing. The pond was large and there was always plenty of fish to catch, so long as we kept an eye out for snapping turtles. They'll drain your pond of fish real quick, those greedy little suckers. One weekend, my brother and I were bored and my dad was not going to be home. We asked my mom if we could walk over to the shack and stay the night. It'd be a lot of fun to do some fishing. It may not be the tastiest meal, but there's something nostalgic about skinning some fish right quick after catching it and throwing it over the fire. Plus, we could take a lot home and surprise dad. He loved fish. Getting the okay from my mom, we packed up our fishing poles and dad's tackle box setting out to the pond. At the time, I was 10 years old, and my older brother was 14. Derek, my brother, was pretty rowdy, the type of kid who, once he discovered cursing, cursed way too much every chance he got, thinking it made him an adult. I remember walking to the pond with him that night, and he asked me if I spit or swallow. Being 10 years old, I had no idea what he was talking about, not realizing this was a self-defeating question. After a 20-minute walk, we made it to the shack. There were still a couple of hours of sunlight left, so we burst out of the trail and raced toward the pond's edge. But we soon stopped. Something smelled wrong, and as we made our way to the edge of the water, we found it. Dozens, if not a hundred fish, pulled ashore, half-eaten, then tossed to the side. Immediately, we both frowned, and my brother angrily muttered, Snapping turtle. We gathered up the dead fish, all that we could find anyway, then tossed them in a neat pile on the wood's edge, out of the way. It didn't really do much for the smell, though. If this was a snapper, we were going to have to tell my dad. He had a trap for him that we didn't know how to set up or use, and we were afraid we were going to lose it in the pond if we tried. We kept an eye out in the water for it, but never did see anything out of the ordinary. We did do our fishing, sitting there with our lines in the water for nearly two hours, and not a single bite. 
Thing is, I knew that there would still be fish in there. So maybe they were just cautious, scared, and they needed some more time to propagate. After two unlucky hours of no fish, we hunkered down in the cabin as the night grew cold. We got a fire going in the small fireplace. We sat around it, keeping warm and keeping each other company. My brother talked about school and discussed a lot of the girls he was interested in, which at that age I didn't understand. I'd never thought of my female classmates as pretty, though I did have a lot of female friends. When I explained this to him, he looked at me and laughed. Cart, just give it a couple years. Then all you'll think about is girls and girls. No, I won't, I replied, feeling offended for some reason that I didn't understand. He squeezed me on the neck and shoulder with a finger and a thumb. This tickled a lot, and I winced and tried to get him off of me. And then he said, Oh, I see. So you're boy crazy. I pushed him off of me, exclaiming, No, at least I'm not afraid of the dark. He rolled his eyes at me. What are you talking about? You're more afraid of the dark than I am. I was going to retort with something, but I remembered I had to sleep with my mom in her bed just a couple of nights before. I'd had a bad dream. We sat back and we got quiet for a while. Then I looked over at him and asked him a curious question I had. Why are people afraid of the dark? Derek looked at me then looked back at the fire. I don't know. Guess because you can't see what's in there. Isn't it just scary when you can't see anything? Try closing your eyes and walking out into the woods one day. Would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? I nodded. Nothing to be scared of out here, though, I said. I was an ignorant and confident little kid. Well, I wouldn't say that, Derek replied. You're just trying to scare me. There's no such thing as monsters, I explained to him, like a little know-it-all. Well, Cart, it doesn't have to be monsters. There are animals out there. Dad said he saw a cougar on one of the trail cams. Cougars eat people. Being ten years old and hearing this from my older brother really scared the crap out of me. I didn't like where the conversation was going, but I was morbidly curious. How big are they? I asked. About as big as Dad. Derek could not finish his sentence because suddenly there came a loud sound from outside the cabin. It seemed distant, but still quite loud. It was a windy scream, like a violent wind flowing through a cavern. A scream of pain, though you could be mistaken for guessing it didn't come from an animal at all. You could probably guess I jumped right out of my skin. What's that? I demanded to know from Derek. Speak of the devil, Derek said. Cougars are known to scream like that. What do we do? Having turned to face the door of the shack, where the sound had been coming, he looked back at me and smiled. It's not gonna bother us. Cougars are scared of people. I didn't believe that for a second. He had been about to say that they can get as big as dad. Something as big as our dad? Why would it be scared of two little kids? Didn't make sense to me, and we hadn't brought any real protection with us. 
I'd seen plenty of scary movies by then, and if a big cat was anything like my Hollywood monsters, it could burst right through the shack's walls and grab me by the hair, dragging me out to be eaten. I want to go home, I told Derek. He placed his hands on my shoulders and reassured me. Nothing's gonna happen, it doesn't even know we're here, and it's not going to bother us. Let's get some sleep. It's probably safer we don't walk through the woods right now. I know you're probably thinking I should take you back home. He lay in his cot, and I did the same. Though I'd been scared, it didn't take me long to fall asleep. An unknown amount of time later, I was awakened. There was a stirring in the shack. Remembering what we'd talked about before going to sleep, I sat straight up and looked over to the cot where Derek was supposed to be. But he was gone. Instinctively, I looked right at the door to make sure it was still shut. There was Derek. He was facing away from me. He was opening the door and about to step outside. Derek, where are you going? I said worried. But he ignored me. He didn't even react to my call. He stepped out of the shack, then closed the door behind him. Not three or four seconds later, that scream that I'd heard before came echoing from the woods outside. I pulled my thin blanket up to my face. Why did he leave me? Where was he going? What if that cougar got him? The scream would come again and again every few minutes, all the while I sat there, trying to force myself up. I had to go get my brother. I either had to bring him back or stay with him. I was too scared to stay alone. And what if he got hurt out there? Eventually, and ever so steadily, I pulled the blanket from myself, and I got up. The fire had turned into glowing orange embers, but was still plenty hot to keep the shack warm. I opened the door, met by a cold, almost freezing breeze. It was very dark outside. Where the full moon didn't touch with its light was complete pitch black darkness. I stepped out and closed the door. Then, step by step, I made my way toward the trail calling out his name. Derek! Derek, where are you? He did not respond. I walked closer to the trail. It was the only part of the forest that wasn't completely black with darkness, as the canopy above the trail had several openings throughout, letting in much of the moonlight. But still, it was half as bright as the shores of the pond. I walked along the trail, having to remind myself that my brother was out there somewhere and needed me. Otherwise, I'd rather just stop moving or go back to the shack. It was cold, and I was shaking, but probably not from the cold. I was terrified, more so than I'd ever been. The further I walked along the trail, the louder the screaming got, the more clear it was, the windy aspect of it began to fade out, it would sound more and more animalistic as I carried on. About halfway through the trail, only ten minutes from home, 
The scream came again, clearer than ever, and I knew then that it was coming from off the trail to my left. I then made the stupidest decision. I was going to go toward the screaming. Now you have to understand why I did this. I wondered if my brother, who I saw as braver than me, had come out here to see the screaming thing himself. If that was the case, then following the screaming would lead me to him. The other option was my brother had been attacked by the screaming thing. And once again, going toward the screams would lead me to my brother. And in that case, he would need my help. So, terrified, tired, and freezing, I stepped into the darkness of the woods. My eyes would begin to adjust, but not by much. Derek! I called again, knowing that there would not be a response. I tripped several times as well. The terrain off the trail was quite uneven and precarious. If I wasn't careful, I could break one of my ankles. Now focusing more on my steps than my own surroundings, I soon found myself entering a clearing where the moon's light was shone bright, and I became aware that I was hearing crying. Someone was crying in front of me, an awful sound of someone in pain and in torment. I looked up, and I saw a crouching human shape. They faced away from me. Their shoulders moved up and down, and I saw that their arms were moving around. I stepped closer. I could then see that they seemed to be scratching their wrists and arms, hard. Then the crying gave way to the sound of murmurs. Thinking or assuming that it was my brother who was injured, I, I called out to it. Derek? I'm sorry, The murmuring stopped all at once. The figure angled its head up and sideways towards the sky and towards me at the same time. And then it screamed. The same scream I'd been hearing the whole night. It was never a cougar, and it wasn't my brother. I run faster and more determined than ever before. I run back to the shack, for some reason not even considering going back home. I guess back then I didn't have a good sense of time or distance. I guess I assumed that home would be further away. Even though I was halfway there, I ran and ran until I made it back to the shack, opened the door up, and found my brother sitting up in his cot, looking at me, confused. Where have you been? He looked at me, angrily. Had he just woke up? I, I thought I, I saw you leave the shack, I explained. What are you talking about? I've been asleep this whole time. You just scared the bejesus out of me. Don't go outside without me. You didn't go on the trail, did you? Alone? In the dark? His anger turned to concern. Yeah, but you weren't here. I had to go find you. I began to cry. Derek hugged me. Carter, I never left you. I was in here the whole time, I promise. I wouldn't scare you like that. 
and I wouldn't leave you alone. After he dried my tears with his shirt, he stayed up while I went to sleep, and in the morning, he stayed close to me as we both walked home together. Part 2 I never really knew what I saw that night in the woods. When we made it back home, I did tell my brother what I saw, but I said to him that it was just some crazy man. He didn't believe me. I did have one bout of sleepwalking way back in the day, several years before that, but it was nothing like this. Still, he didn't stop from attributing my experience to sleepwalking. After all, even I couldn't explain how I didn't see him in his cot if he had been there the whole time. A few years after this, school was back in session for the year, meaning we had to wake up super early to get ready for school and to catch the bus. We had to wake up at our house for school way earlier than other kids. We were the furthest out on our bus route. We'd wake up at 5.30, then be ready to catch the bus at the driveway at 6.30. Ugh, this was miserable. It seemed no matter how early we fell asleep, we'd always wake up feeling exhausted. Not to mention, whenever school started up, that time of year was always freezing cold outside around these parts. I hated it. But luckily, Mom started a new tradition. She'd drive us in her truck to the edge of the driveway and wait with us. Heaters full blast, and we'd snack on breakfast burritos that she'd made us, usually. They were quick and easy for her to make, and by God were they delicious. My poor mom, though. She didn't last long when she put the parking brake on. Every day when we waited for the bus, she'd start snoring after a few minutes, out like a light, catching the sleep that I wish I could catch more of. Well, the first day of school that year, we did just that. Mom brewed us all a cup of coffee. Derek was really into coffee by then. Mom was addicted to it. And I was 13 then, so I figured I was man enough to drink my coffee black. But after one sip and a noticeable cringe on my face, my mom laughed at me and poured my cup into hers. Having known this would happen, she pulled out a juice box, apple juice, I think, and gave it to me. Mom was the best. After she finished her coffee and mine together in her cup, she still somehow managed to fall asleep. She was sawing logs, and so was my brother soon after that. But my brother, he had reason to. He had been staying up real late talking to some girl on the phone. When we asked him if he had a girlfriend, he would deny it. But I saw the way he smiled when he answered the phone. So, those two were in the truck, sleeping and basking in the warmth of the heater. It was still dark out, and would stay dark till around seven. There were bushes and thick foliage on either side of the truck along the driveway. Having finished my breakfast, I pulled out my PSP, which I'd gotten for my last birthday. I turned it on, played a little bit of Monster Hunter Freedom, still to this day my very favorite game franchise. I usually played on the bus, but the bus was running a bit late, and those two were asleep, so I was getting bored. After several minutes, I was getting really frustrated. Gravios kept killing me in that mission, and after the third death, signaling a failure, I turned the PSP off and put it back in my backpack, and I just stared out the window. The driveway was misty, 
lots of fog all around us. It was warming up a bit, but it was being real slow about it. Before long, my nose began to crinkle up. I smelled something, and whatever it was, it was absolutely terrible. It smelled like dead and rotten fish. I figured it was Derek. So I turned around and elbowed him into the bicep. He barely felt it, though. Derek, that's gross, dude. We're all packed cramped in here, and it's too cold to roll down a window. All he did was stir, turned his head to the left away from me, and continued to sleep. I rolled my eyes at him, covering my nose with my shirt. The smell was so bad I was about to gag. Once again, I turned my face toward the window, looking at the foliage to our right. Despite the smell, I could have fallen asleep then, but I kept my eyes open. If I fell asleep, we'd miss the bus, and Mom would be way mad. Suddenly, something in front of me caught my attention. That morning was not windy, and that being said, the bushes were shuffling about. Just the ones in front of me. There was something out there. I was sure of it. And then, when I heard the scream that I'd heard a few years back, the very same one coming from those bushes outside. I freaked out. I felt chills all over me. I turned back to my brother and mom and shook them both, trying to get them to wake up. But they ignored me, or were that deeply asleep. All in all, it was pointless trying to wake them. Quickly, I turned back to the window to keep an eye on what I was hearing and seeing. A few seconds after that, a bald and pale head popped itself out from the bushes, its skin glistening as if it was moist. I watched its head slowly turn left and right. It was so slow turning its head that the only way I knew it was doing so was by the faint reflection of the moonlight on its eyes, which swiveled. I kept wondering, who is that? Was that the same guy as before? It had been years and the visual in my head was getting blurry. But this encounter was bringing it all back to the top. Without warning, the thing in the bushes on all fours scurried and crawled over to the truck. I jumped when this happened. The way it moved was so grotesque and sickening, it wasn't right. It didn't walk on all fours like a man pretending to be an animal. Rather, it crawled along the ground like a spider in search of insects. It did so at the speed of a spider as well, something unnatural, no impossible for a person to do. People aren't built to move like that, even though this thing had all the appendages and shape of a man. I saw legs, I saw arms, a head. If it wasn't human, then what was it? At a blinding speed, it had scurried from the forest's edge to so close to the truck that I could no longer see it unless I rolled down the window or opened the door, and I was not about to do that. For the next minute, I heard it crawling slowly around the truck, as if observing it, or maybe it was looking for a way inside. But I tried not to think about it. I tried to hope that it didn't know we were in there. It was scary enough knowing that there were animals out there that looked and acted like this, one that wasn't scared of a running truck. I could hear rocks shuffling about as it moved, from my right, then to the left, 
to the front, then to the back, where it stopped. I turned in my seat, and I stared out the back window, waiting to see something. And I soon did. Long, bony fingers rose above the tailgate, then wrapped themselves around it as that creature pulled itself up and crawled into the truck bed. I see it sniffing around in the truck bed. Was it looking for something to eat? It was so close, closer than ever. I tried my best to get a good look at its face, but it was difficult. It was so dark still. All I could really make out was that its face was more flat than a person's, as if its nose was gone. Then I heard something else. My mother, she was waking up. She yawned and stretched out her arms, correctly situating herself back in her seat. Then on autopilot, she checked the rearview mirror. I watched her eyes go wide, and then a scream billed from her face, and then out of her mouth. I covered my ears. It was so loud. My brother sat straight up. He'd been scared half to death. This spooked the creature too, but rather than running away, it flattened itself so close to the bed of the truck that it was impossible to see due to the shadows. Mom was horrified but confused. She'd only got a split-second look at it. She looked at me, seeing that I'd been watching it, then asked me if it was a dog or a cat or some person. Then she figured it was maybe one of my friends from up the road, coming to the truck to join us, which had happened before. She said if that was the case, it was not funny that he was trying to scare us. My now-awake brother turned in his seat, wanting to see what all the fuss was about. He pressed his face right up against the cold glass, trying to see what was back there but it was just impossible to see it. A sudden squeal from behind us caused us all to turn around. At long last, the bus was pulling up in front of us, squealing to a halt as its brakes howled in agony. At that same moment, the entire truck shook as a great weight or pressure was exerted on it from the back. I turned just in time, to see that creature escape through the bushes, leaving the three of us there dumbfounded. Me and Derek now forced to get out and enter the bus, which we did in a hurry. I asked the bus driver if he saw that, but he looked at me, as tired as we were, and shook his head. I asked my brother if he caught any glimpse of it, but he still didn't know what we were talking about. All he knew was that mom screamed at something in the rearview mirror. With a sigh, I sat down, pulled out my PSP again, and tried to forget about it. Derek asked over and over what it was, but I didn't have an answer. When I tried to tell him that I think it was the same thing I saw years ago in the woods, he simply said, right, and finally got quiet. Part 3 Jump ahead a few more years. I was 16, and Derek was 20, though he moved out of the house the moment he turned 18. He didn't visit much anymore, and I found myself missing him. It had been a long time since the two of us went fishing like we used to, let alone just sit down and talk about life. Luckily, at the same time that Derek was gone, 
dad was able to come back home far more often. He and mom had finally paid off our cheap house, meaning we did not need nearly as much money as he used to be making. Dad didn't want to cut his hours, but mom convinced him to. She wanted him home, wanted him to relax and help her with her garden, said it would be therapeutic and even romantic for the two of them. He relented, and he was able to take half the hours he used to. He was basically home all the time now. I wasn't used to it, but I enjoyed it. Heck, I even found myself helping them garden too. And dad was a great fisherman. We'd go to the pond, rest in the shack, and even travel upstate for more exotic fishing. But there were some other negative changes around then. You see, my sleepwalking, which had only happened once before, came back with a vengeance. At home, mom and dad would often find me in the living room, sitting on the couch, staring at the TV without blinking. They'd walk over to me. I would wake up and not realize where I was or how I got there. I would never even remember getting out of bed, which I guess is normal of sleepwalking. She was worried I was going to get myself hurt. She and my dad discussed getting a one-way lock for my room and even barring my windows to protect me, but I told them that they were taking this sleepwalking thing too far. I'd be fine. Getting up and subconsciously sitting on the couch was nothing to worry about, but things would get much, much worse. One summer, just before bed, dad had a heart attack and mom had to rush him to the hospital. When I tried to join them, go with them to the emergency room, she stopped me and said that I needed to look after the house and stay here. I was mad. My dad was nearly dead, could be dying, and she was making me stay home. Now that I look back on it, I have a feeling she was just protecting me. She didn't want me more worried than I already was. I was the type to worry myself to death. Over the years, I had grown into a more paranoid person. And yeah, I do think that those experiences I had before had something to do with it. You don't just witness things like that and shrug it off. That night, I stayed in my bed, awake, waiting for my mom to call. I couldn't do anything, eat, watch TV, play games, until I knew my dad was going to be okay. I was horrified at the idea that I'd never get to spend time with my dad. He worked his life away, just so we could afford this small house. And when he finally had time at home and we were starting to hang out, he had a heart attack. Life wasn't fair. And even if they called and let me know he was okay, it would mean dad would have to slow down. Would we even be able to go fishing again? Maybe I was overthinking it. Sure enough, my mom did call within the hour. She let me know that dad was going to be okay. They wouldn't have to do surgery, but they were sending him home with a prescription. He would need to change his diet and exercise drastically. I smiled, just thankful that he was fine. After that, I was finally able to turn over in the bed and close my eyes for a time. They would be home in the morning. I woke up in the middle of the night. I rubbed my head, which was pounding, thinking about getting up to get some ibuprofen. I placed my hand down, but then I yanked it back up. It stung. 
I looked over and a stick was jabbing into it. Then I looked around. I wasn't at my house anymore. I was in the middle of the woods. I was outside. My stomach sank. How did I get out here? Did I sleepwalk out here? This was the first time I'd ever gone this far. I picked myself up and looked in every direction, trying to recognize a landmark, anything at all. But I didn't. How do I get back to the house? Where was I? I was beginning to panic. I felt around in my pockets. I'd fallen asleep with my shorts on. You see, if I wear running shorts or sports shorts of some kind during the day, I would usually fall asleep in them. They were warm and comfy. Luckily, my phone was in my pocket still. Panicking, I called my brother. I wasn't sure why it was him I chose to call, instead of mom or dad. Maybe I didn't want to scare mom after she'd just been traumatized by dad's heart attack. Plus, I really missed Derek. My phone read 4 a.m. I dialed Derek's number, and I prayed that he would be awake. Hey, Cart, what's up? He answered, sounding tired and irritated. Derek, D Derek, I, I woke up in the middle of the woods, man. I've been sleepwalking a lot, and I don't know how I got out here. I don't know where I am. He seemed to perk up after that, and sounded worried. All right, all right, calm down, okay? I'm coming to the house. I'm going to bring the brightest flashlight I can. I'm going to come looking for you, so just stay right there. Did you call Mom? No, she and Dad are at the hospital. Yeah, she's fine. Dad, well, he had a heart attack, but he's fine too, okay? Just please, come find me. I'm on my way, Carter. Just be careful, and if you start to believe you're really far from home, call the Forest Service. Call someone who could find you. Someone with a GPS or something. I will. Love you, man. We hung up. I sat there on the forest floor. I tried to get GPS working on my phone. I had reception, but whenever Google Maps tried to load my location, it just wouldn't sync or update right. I'm not really sure what was going on. It would load my dot, but from the map, I couldn't tell where I was still. And when I walked around, I couldn't get my dot to move. I stayed in the same area, just to be sure. I tried my best to remember what I'd always been told if I was lost in the woods. Was I supposed to stay put? Or was I supposed to get up and move around, trying to find civilization or people? Do I call out? Or do I stay silent? I ended up just sitting there, waiting. Over and over, I reminded myself, Derek was on the way. He would be here in a few minutes. When he got here, he would shout, He'd be waving around a bright torch. If I didn't hear him, I'd see him for sure. The woods were so quiet that night. It was unsettling. Every movement I made echoed, seemingly forever. It was dark and a bit warmer than usual, but there were no bugs chirping, and not once did I hear the sound of nighttime animals moving around in the undergrowth. 
Obviously, I couldn't help but think about my first encounter with that thing way back when. Setting foot in the middle of the woods, seeing that shape clawing at itself, and then the murmuring. As if on cue, there it came again, a murmuring, like it was coming from all around me, the same voice I'd heard back then, but this time, it was saying different words. Over here, hungry, tired, over here, meat, sorry. Rather than run away, I laid back down on the ground. As if that was enough to conceal myself, the murmuring drew closer and closer until I was too terrified to keep my eyes open. I closed my eyes. Call me stupid if you will. I should have run. I should have moved, done something different, but I didn't. I laid there, eyes closed. Just as I was beginning to think that I should cover myself with things on the ground, like leaves and twigs, to camouflage myself, I felt it. Something close to my skin, on my scalp. Something sniffing me. Something that had just gotten done murmuring. It smelled me from my scalp down to my neck. Tears welled up in my eyes. I wanted to cry and scream, but there was nothing I could do now besides lay here and hope for the best or lash out in defense, which might cause this thing to fight back. I felt air blowing past me as it sniffed more and more, and then there was a warm and wet sensation as whatever it was began to drool on me. It was salivating at my scent. Then, right on my neck, only millimeters away, it began to cry, and the murmurings came again. I continued to feel wet droplets landing on me, but these were different. These were smaller, colder, tears. Whatever this was, whoever this was, I did truly believe that they were sorry. I was gritting my teeth now, biting down on nothing as hard as I could, and then a sound more heavenly than any other, before and after it. Carter! My brother. He was here. He was looking for me. I need only follow his voice, find the beam of his light. At the same time as my brother's call, this creature choked up for a second and ran away, scurrying before screaming once more. When the sounds died down, I opened my eyes. I picked myself up and I screamed. Derek! He called back and I ran towards his voice, requesting him to keep calling my name so that I could be sure where he was. Soon, I burst forth from the tree line, finding myself in the side yard of our home. There was Derek, holding a torch, shining it at my feet, and running up to me to hug me. Oh my god, dude. I'm so glad you're okay. I was freaking out about you, he said, squeezing tighter. I couldn't bring myself to speak. Not properly. 
I was still crying. My stomach felt tight and weak, and when I did try to speak, nothing but pained ramblings came out. He helped me inside, and we went into the kitchen. He brewed some coffee and tried to make conversation. He told me that he had proposed to his girlfriend, said he wasn't ready to tell mom and dad yet, so we had to keep it between us. He talked about his time in college, how many friends he'd made and how it was going, and then tried to ask me how my life had been. But I couldn't speak. Still couldn't speak. For the remainder of that night, until I was able to sleep again, it seemed my sanity had left me. Only once I wake up, and mom and dad had come home, just before Derek left to go back to his place. I let him know that I was thankful. And just as he was getting into his car, I told him. I saw it again out there, the thing from the bus stop, the thing from the woods by the shack. I saw it again. He stared at me, then he swallowed hard and nodded as if finally believing me. Derek drove away, and I went back inside with mom and dad. I smiled, and I hugged them both, thankful that they were okay, that we were all okay. Wendigo in the Woods of Elbert, Colorado From Ryan T. Before I begin my story, I'd like to give some background on why I'm writing this in the first place. I do not believe in skinwalkers or any sort of cryptid. However, the subject fascinates the living hell out of me. The other day on the r slash skinwalkers subreddit, I saw and responded to a question that read, Why do you believe in skinwalkers? With my beliefs, and gave an extremely brief overview of what led me to learn about skinwalkers. This seemed to attract some attention or curiosity, so I figured that I might as well write about it, since I have nothing else to do being stuck at home now. It happened in a very small town called Elbert, Colorado, that's very far out in the middle of nowhere. Like a grocery trip took a 45-minute drive just to get to a store. I moved out there in the summer of 2013 when I was 11. My family lived on an eight-acre piece of property in a fairly thick pine forest, with a house just outside the very edge of it. The driveway to the house was a super crappy, super long dirt road that led out to the main street that had to be a little less than an eighth of a mile away from the house. To this day, I think that place was the most peaceful place I'd ever been to. The only sounds that could be heard were those of nature and our chickens, as we could not hear the rare car that would pass by. The nights there were the best part of the place, though. Because of the lack of city lights, I was able to see every detail of the night sky, down to the dimmest star. Because of the darkness, however, you weren't able to see a single thing below the horizon of the night sky. Along with that, there were several packs of coyotes that lived out there, and every night, they'd all be howling at each other. With enough of them, the noise would almost sound like water. The only thing that really sucked about the property, however, was the walk that we had to make just to take the trash out. The garbage company would only accept the cans that were brought to the main road. 
We'd normally take the trash out before it got dark, but on occasion I'd forget and would have to do it at dark, which I normally didn't mind. The trip would be a super peaceful walkout, and we had headlamps at the ready so that we could actually see where we were going in the dark. Well, the summer before I moved out, there was a night where I forgot to take out the trash during the day, and the batteries on the headlamps were dead. This meant I had to try to navigate my way down our driveway, almost completely blind. I went outside and stood next to the trash cans for a minute or two, staring into the darkness in order to hopefully adjust my eyes. Staring into the darkness, though, I felt as if there was something off. The normal coyote sounds were gone, and for some reason, my eyes just wouldn't adjust to the dark. I kept staring into that abyss, looking for any sign that my eyes might be adjusting, but to no luck. Then this terrible feeling tore its way into my chest. The best way I can describe it is as if this darkness, this abyss I was staring into, was staring back at, no, into me. I was frozen with fear. I knew I was alone out there, but something told me that if I were to walk into the dark, I would not return. I continued to stare, almost unable to look away from the darkness for a long time before my mom came out to check on me. Her opening the door seemed to break me out of the trance, and I ran to her and began crying. She looked at me confused and noticed that I still had not taken out the trash. After telling her about how I felt, she laughed a little and gave me some encouraging words telling me if there was anything out there, our dogs would have noticed it by now. She then told me to come back in 10 minutes for ice cream. I turned back around and walked back to the trash cans, shaking. I had never been so scared in my life, and what of? Nothing? I chuckled to myself, realizing the absurdity of it. When I took my eyes back off the ground, the chuckle turned back into a cry. I realized that I wasn't scared of nothing. I was terrified that there was something out there that I could not see, waiting for me to leave the light of the house lamp to attack. Then the coyotes started back up, and my eyes began to adjust. Whatever might have been there was gone along with all of my fear. The tears stopped along with most of the fear and I was able to start dragging the trash cans down. The walk was somewhat scary, though I was able to let the sound of the coyotes distract me. By the time I got back to the house, I felt safe again, but I could not stop thinking about that abyss. While we lived in that house, that was probably my scariest encounter. There were other scary encounters while I was there, but the only one that could even slightly relate to the other takes place at my friend's house. For the sake of privacy, I'll refer to him as D. D had a property that was about 10 minutes from mine, and we shared the same forest, with the only separation being a road in between us. We had been hanging out for a while that day, playing a bunch of video games, when I had an idea to go out in the dark and explore his property. He agreed, and so we waited until night fell. After a few more hours of video games and dinner, it finally seemed dark enough to go out. So, we did. We were wandering his seven-acre property, being pretty stupid, 
loud and making half-assed attempts at trying to get each other a little scared. After some time of this, we eventually wandered into a clearing, and I guess the attempts at scaring each other settled in for both of us at the same time. Together, we looked around, concerned. There was something off, and it felt like we were being watched. Trying to keep a good mood, and maybe trying to keep my mind off of whatever was making us feel this way, I suggested we make a scary video to scare Dee's little brother. Dee laughed and agreed and pulled out his phone. We began to record. We were acting like we kept seeing things in the woods. I would throw a stick when the camera was facing away, making weird grunting sounds in order to make the video creepy. We both were having a good time. However, deep down, I felt like something was very off and I think that he did too. Then, out of nowhere, a twig snapped behind us. I automatically assumed that D had thrown something, but when I looked at him to confirm, he was looking at me to see if I had thrown it. Before this moment, I was trying very hard to make my voice sound as scared as possible for the video. However, as soon as I heard this, I didn't need to try anymore. We stared in the direction that the twig snap had come from, hoping to make out something but to no avail. Once again, my eyes would not adjust to the dark, except this time, instead of physically standing in the light, I was inside the darkness. Partially for the video and partially for my sanity, I whispered, Run. D nodded slightly, his face illuminated by his phone. Then we started sprinting in the direction of his house. I don't think I had run so hard in my life beforehand, but there was a feeling in my gut still telling me that we weren't fast enough, that we needed to hide. Dee must have felt the same thing. He took the lead and led us to a nearby cat shed. A motion sensor light flicked on as we passed by, and we got in the shed as quickly as we could. After getting the door shut, Dee turned on his light, revealing the inside of the shed. At the time, it seemed to me like the cats were hiding from something too. However, looking back on it, they were probably just sleeping in their beds that were in a corner of the shed. This freaked me out even more. Dee started climbing the wall of the shed, leading us onto a shelf-like structure that had a window we could look out of. Dee sat on one side of the window and I sat on the other, we were facing each other, and we could see both angles from the window. Eventually, with the light on the outside and the added comfort of a roof over our heads, we started to calm down and focus on the video again. As we were talking about what might have been out there, the motion sensor light turned off, dropping the outside back into the dark. We went quiet as the uneasy feeling washed over us again. To me, it didn't feel like we were being watched anymore, more like we were being looked for. We stared intently out the window, looking for signs of anything when I thought I started hearing footsteps. Having a wall between us and the steps muffled them, so I couldn't be sure what I was hearing. I asked Dee about it, and he said that he heard them too. However, I'm pretty sure he was saying that for the video. We went quiet again, listening. Then I heard the footsteps get slightly louder. 
one of the cats started rubbing up against us, which distracted us and caused us to turn around and start petting him. Because who wouldn't pet a cat? As we were petting him, the outdoor motion sensor light flicked on. I felt goosebumps crawl up my arms to my face. As we slowly turned around, we looked out the window and saw nothing. Dee told me that we should get inside, and I agreed with him. We carried the cat back down to its bed and got ready to make a 50-yard sprint directly to his house. He opened the door and I shut it, and then we were in the cold, dark woods, running as hard as we could from whatever turned on that light. After what felt like forever of sprinting, we finally got to Dee's front door and we rushed inside. We slammed his sliding glass door and didn't sleep until we saw the sun rising the next day. Though these encounters were terrifying at the time, a lot of it can be easily explained by me just freaking myself out. There was nothing out there during the trash can story, and at Dee's house we found raccoon prints the next morning outside of the cat shed. None of these things ever stopped me from loving the woods, and within a week, I was certain that I was just making things up to myself. I continued loving the woods we lived in for the next year that we lived there, but eventually, my family and I ended up moving out. My dad got a job offer in Minnesota that would improve our financial situation and not force my dad into a two-hour commute every day. Minnesota, however, proved to be the worst place that I've lived in, at least for the first year or two. After living in such a small town and adapting to my friends in Elbert, I found it very hard to make friends in Minnesota. I was constantly thinking about my friends and the girlfriend I'd left in Elbert, and I refused to work to make friends, and the people at my new school did not particularly seem to like me. I would still talk to my Elbert friends almost every night, playing video games and stuff with them, which seemed to be the only thing to make me sort of happy while I was there. With my mental health in the garbage and my lack of friends, my parents agreed to let me go to Elbert during the summer and visit them. After the first visit, my mental health was way better. I started opening up to other people at the new school. So my parents agreed to make the Elbert trips annual as long as I planned them. Yeah, I've got the coolest parents ever, of all time maybe. So every year since then, I've been visiting my friends in Elbert. But the most recent visit is the reason that I'm writing this. Every year I would hang out with my friends, K, T, and D, the same D from the other story. Because of stupid teenage drama, they would almost never hang out together. One of my favorite things to do with them was ironically go squatching. Squatching is looking for Bigfoot, typically making their hypothetical calls and using other communication methods in hopes of finding one. This was simply an excuse to go yell in the woods at night for me. This most recent visit, I finally had managed to get K, T, and D to all hang out together. We had planned on making a short film that was based on these stupid videos that T and I used to make. We tried to film it, but we ended up with like one scene before we decided to just play video games instead. One day after dinner, the group came up with an idea to make a squatching video. T, K, and I filmed one last year, so we figured that we'd do another one this year and try to make it an annual thing. 
we took Kay's little brother out with us to film for us, and we started recording the video. The sun was still up, so we had no intention of being any sort of scary, just a funny, ironic video. We wandered around for an hour, making crappy Australian accents and shouting for Bigfoot, when Kay had the idea that we could split up and look for Sasquatch. So, we did. We each went off on our own into the woods, with the cameraman following me, each making the occasional squatch call and tree knock. We had some walkie-talkies with us, so we were able to tell each other when we were making a call. After some time, D and T and I found each other and decided to group up and meet Kay in a clearing. We began walking, and Kay came in over the radio, saying that he was about to make another call. We waited, and from the forest came the most terrifying noise I've ever heard someone make. The best way I could describe it, it was like a dying elephant that had a smoking problem. Then he came in over the radio. Was that you guys? He asked. We assumed that he was joking around for the video, so we joked back. Nah, mate, we've pissed the Squatch off. We need to get out of here. Meet us back at your house. Then we ran out of the forest quickly. When we met up with Kay, he apparently had cut himself on some barbed wire, and that, plus the terrifying scream we heard, seemed to put us off. We decided to stop for the time being. We went inside and played Halo for hours, messing with each other and doing other stupid things, not mentioning what had happened while squatching for the rest of the night. When night had more than passed, and it was around midnight, we decided to go back outside and do more squatching, this time without a camera and with a bunch of flashlights. We decided to go pretty deep into the forest before making any calls so as to not wake Kay's family or the neighbors up. Eventually, we got to the point that we had split up from earlier and had to decide what to do from there. After talking about it some, we decided to see where Kay had run off to. Then I made the first Squatch call of the night. After the call, the woods went completely silent. In my previous story, I talked about the abyss watching me. This was almost the same, except it felt as if the forest were listening to us. We laughed about it and poked fun at each other, trying to creep one another out, and we began to walk. Kay led us pretty deep into his woods and eventually stopped in a small opening, showing us that this had been where he had radioed us from before the call. The thing is, Kay didn't refer to the call as his. He referred to it as one of ours. This didn't register at the moment, but thinking back on it, it definitely gives me the creeps. After a bit more joking around, Kay decided to take us to the boundary of his property, where he had cut himself on barbed wire. We walked in a straight line toward the fence, and I think Kay figured we'd follow the fence to where he cut himself. As we walked deeper into the forest, though, our jokes started to die down. The silence, darkness, and this feeling started getting to us. We were starting to suspect that we were being watched. We arrived at the fence and began walking along when Kay stopped confused. I looked at where his flashlight was pointing, and there was the fence. However, the fence was almost dented, if that makes sense. It looked like something had come through and simply stepped on the fence with enough weight that the fence could not bring itself to its natural position. I showed my flashlight into the other property and asked Kay about it. 
I can't remember exactly what he told me, but I think I remember him saying that it was a large piece of Native American land and had once been sacred or something like that. That was probably terribly wrong, so take that info with a grain of salt. Our group looked at each other. Let's go over it, I remember myself saying. Worst case scenario, we find whoever's property it is and we can tell him about the broken gate. This was obviously not the worst case scenario, especially out in the country like this, but we continued anyway. After going through some more pretty heavy woods, we found a clearing, and then we felt something awful. The hair on the back of all our necks stood up at once. We began hearing slight twig snaps in every direction. This was a massive change from the previously quiet forest that we had just been walking through. We quickly shined our lights every which way, looking for anything that could be causing our fear. Then Dee's light stopped on something. Guys, do you see that? We all shined our lights on the spot that he was looking at. I couldn't see anything at first, and was about to say no when I made out what looked to be the reflection of eyes. We each confirmed one by one, each of us starting to make out the eyes. Then we did something stupid. We started walking toward it. Maybe this was because there were four of us and one pair of eyes. Or maybe it was how alluring they looked. Every step we took, the more they faded out until we could not see them anymore. Then we felt the hairs on the back of our necks stand up more as if pointing in the direction of something that did not approve of us being there. We stood back to back, making a square, as we felt the presence circling us. Guys, let's get out of here, one of us said. We all nodded and waited. Then when the time felt right, we sprinted. We all ran as fast as we could, jumping over the fallen fence through the forest, until eventually I saw the house. I heard the others run by me, hidden by the forest, when I suddenly stopped. Ryan, help. My heart sank. I had just heard the other three run by me, yet this was the perfect voice of Kay calling for help. I shoved the thought that this could be Kay out of my head. After all, I had just heard all three of them run by. I began sprinting again, hoping to catch up with Kay. After sprinting for a minute or two, I caught up with them, beginning to slow down, almost at the house. I caught up with Kay and was about to try to talk to him when we both flinched backward, almost falling. Just to the right of us, there was a crashing thud of something that had just hit the ground. We quickly recovered and sprinted toward the door, urging the others on. When we finally got back to Kay's house, we slammed the door behind us and had to just rest, panting, when we all seemed to calm down, Kay asked what the hell happened out there. We all went around sharing what we saw. Dee said he saw the reflection of eyes and more than what we saw in the clearing. Kay said he saw the reflection of eyes in the clearing and heard the two thuds that freaked us out. T said he might have seen the eyes in the clearing and some yellow-red ones as we were closing the door. I stated what I saw but decided to leave out the voice, since I wasn't and still am not sure I heard what I heard. We sat down, and almost immediately began searching up cryptids and looking for other stories like ours. Within half an hour, our primary theories were of a goat man, a Jersey devil, or a wendigo.
almost in response to our theories, we heard two ever-so-quiet footsteps on the roof. Eventually, we went to sleep, but after that, we never spoke a word of it again. Maybe a year or so later, I was trying to creep myself out when I stumbled upon stories about Wendigos. These stories sounded familiar to my experience, but didn't seem to be quite right. That led into a rabbit hole, and eventually I learned about skinwalkers too. Since then, I've loved hearing stories about them, and I'm very fascinated with what they are and how they hunt. I've stopped believing recently, however, after rethinking my tale for the hundredth time. I'm 90% sure that what we heard and saw was just a horse, and that we got onto the bad side of it. What really spooks me, though, however, is when I let the 10% wander, and I think that it might have been something paranormal. Either way, I don't understand how Kay still lives on that property. I'll be visiting him again this summer, so I'll see them again. But hopefully, we will not encounter what we might have encountered last time. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I'll be trying to release these shows every Sunday if possible, as well as attempting to edit the show properly, with its own intro and outro and making the stories back-to-back, -back, instead of just slapping my YouTube show together like I usually do. This is actually the first time I've put it together properly. Anyway, we will see you next time. Remember to send us your stories at darkstories.org, review us on iTunes, and subscribe on YouTube for more creepy stories. Stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one.